um, just pass that along. Um, there's, uh, we got together this week, uh, actually the last number of weeks, there's been a lot of uh, looking at our finances and all that kind of stuff. I mean, you do this as a family, you do this as a, as a, you know, as a couple, as a single, whatever, and you look at your finances and you go, okay, how are things going? And so we've just looked at everything and, and we're praying about next year and what that budget looks like. But uh, what I want to do initially is over the next number of weeks, we're going to be talking about finances a little bit, including our, our uh, all-church meeting. But we really want you to, as a, a community, as us as a community, to pray about our finances. Um, as you know, we're a pretty simple place. Um, we don't have a lot of flashy things. Normally, if you're new today, normally we have like laser shows and stuff and, and all that going on. But um, so we're, we're actually a really simple place. And, um, you know, just with uh, transitions with folks, some people have moved or retired or done different things that finances are a little different as far as what's come in and what's needed. And so there's a gap right now between now and the end of the year that we're, we're praying about God, uh, you know, working through us. Uh, to fill. And so uh, I want you to know that. I want you to be praying about that as a community, as a church. And, and we're actually going to pray about that here as we head into our message. But um, just just be hopeful, believing, um, but praying um, as, as you're moved. Okay, so let me pray as we get started. Heavenly Father, thank you for this place, this place we get to meet, um, this, this perfect location, really, God, that you've offered and given to us. Um, Thank you for this community that believes, trusts, and is sacrificial. And thank you for the things that you are doing in this place. God, I thank you for the stories being told. I thank you for the transformation that's being uh, felt and experienced um, in this place. And uh, so, God, I just continue to, we continue to lift um, this community to you, this, uh, our finances to you. And God, just continue to work and open up doors. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Well, if you are just joining us, we are finishing a 12-week series in the letter to the Thessalonians. And, um, and if you want to catch up on some of that, I would encourage you to do so. There's a podcast. There's a way to do that. Um, we've heard from a lot of you. A lot of you shared what this has meant to you. Um, to be honest with you, it's been really difficult. It's a really difficult thing for me to finish today because I have loved this so much. There are times, to be honest with you, in the life of of preaching week in and week out that you're just kind of like, oh, I can't wait till like there's something else to talk about. You know, this is kind of getting boring and whatever. <laughs> and I'm just being honest. Um, but this has been uh, just, oh man, I, I'm sad that we're finishing it today. And so. You have have missed some of it. I would encourage you to to dial back and check it out. We've learned a lot. Uh, here's some of the things we've learned. We learned that Paul, you know, this this middle aged dude, <laughs> this middle aged Jewish rabbi turned follower of Jesus, is trekking around, um, and he he finds this little community, this little city called Thessalonia, and uh, Thessalonica, and it's named after. Uh, Alexander the Great's sister, and it's a and it's a really important city. And he finds it, and he's he's uh, getting to know people. He's there for a very short time, and his whole deal was to preach the gospel of Jesus of Nazareth, and that this Jesus of Nazareth was raised from the dead. 
And when he does this, it actually begins to shake the fabric of the city. It actually begins to uh, do some uh, amazing things because the gospels, what we've learned is the gospel, that word gospel is a political word, very political word. In fact, uh, whenever Rome um, had a new Caesar, there was a a gospel that was sent out, a a proclamation that was sent out to every city, and they would send a preacher to herald this message to the city and this good news of a new Caesar that was going to come and, and be the savior of the people. So Paul uses this word. He hijacks this word, gospel. And he begins to proclaim a, a, new, uh, a new announcement, a bigger announcement, that Jesus of Nazareth is the true Lord, and that this true Lord uh, has defeated evil through his death, burial, and resurrection, and that he's set in motion kind of a new kingdom, a new era of human history. And because of that setting in motion of this new era, um, he is calling people to a different allegiance, not to Caesar, but to Jesus. And this is a very controversial statement, as you can imagine. And this kingdom of God, this kingdom of heaven, is a place where justice and peace and and, and salvation and mercy is the new normal. It's a new way of life. It's very upside down to the way that the Roman society was working. And so this kingdom of God in Paul's world, was it wasn't a sentimental thing. It wasn't a, you know, a, a wishy-washy, feely thing. It was a very dangerous and provocative thing. And so early in the letter, we learned that this group of people had, uh, Paul is praising them, he's encouraging them. He's like, you've turned away from idols You've turned away from the worship of Caesar and, and all these different uh, idols you would worship if you wanted to be pregnant or you wanted to have uh, a good business transaction. All these different idols. He says, you've turned away from these idols to worship the true and living God. And by doing that, by turning away from all these idols, they actually had a worse life. They had it rougher. Their, their economics were affected. Their family was affected. Their social circles were affected. Their their strata in the city was affected. And so we've learned this, that this was a pretty big deal. So when Paul uh, is kicked out of Thessalon- uh, Thessalonica, he's kicked out because um, the, some Jewish people were pretty angry, and, and so they, they started this kind of riot, and Paul, Paul flees the city, and uh, he's not allowed to go back. He's, he's actually hindered from going back. He's so wanting to know how this little church is doing He's 400 miles away. He sends Timothy back to this city. Timothy treks all the way back to Thessalonica, finds out how they're doing, walks all the way back to Paul 400 miles later, and and, and tells Paul how they're doing. And then Paul is so excited, so encouraged that he writes this letter. This is the first letter, historically speaking, in the New Testament. The first thing written in the New Testament, before the Gospels were written, before anything else was written, was this letter. And Paul writes this letter. He's so excited about this community. He's so excited about them. And uh, we read at the end of chapter 5, brothers and sisters, pray for us. Greet all God's people with a holy kiss. And I told you at the end of the series we were going to do that. So, um, you guys are, come on. Um, I charge you before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers and sisters the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. So, so this is this culmination of the letter. He wants it read. He wants it read over and over again. He wants it read out loud. He wants them to greet each other well 
Um, and so this reveal, this letter is revealed so much, it's revealed what it looks like to be a community. Okay, it, it talks about what, what happens with the gospel, that the gospel is not only an event in the past, but it's, it's something we look forward to as people of the future. And then because of that, it's something we live out in our present day. We actually live this out. We actually consciously and intentionally do that. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to the, read the last part of this passage. And, and what, uh, there's, there's a lot we're not going to get to, but we're still going to read it. And uh, starting in verse 16. Chapter 5, verse 16, says, Rejoice always. Paul says, Pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not quench the Spirit. Dan answered a question about that last week. Uh, Do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all. Hold on to what is good. Reject every kind of evil. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless in the coming, uh, at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. So brothers and sisters, pray for us. Greet all God's people with a holy kiss. I charge you before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers and sisters. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. And this is, this is what Paul ends the letter with. Just some big words, just huge encouraging language for the people um, to just keep going, to keep pressing forward. Um, and, and we'll talk a little bit more about what they're experiencing. And so really what I want to concentrate on today, this morning, is three verses, starting in, in verse 16. Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. See, up to this point, there's only been one other command in the letter. The letter's been uh, uh, full of encouragement and hope and joy, and there's only been one other command in the letter up until this point, and he gives three, just boom, 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 rattles them right off. Pray, cont- uh, rejoice always, pray continually, and give thanks in all circumstances. This, there's three different versions I want to show you. Uh, one version, the ESV, says rejoice always, pray without ceasing, uh, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. The 1599 Geneva Bible, listen to this. Rejoice evermore. Rejoice evermore. Pray continually. In all things, give thanks. Another version I love is be cheerful no matter what. Pray all the time. Thank God no matter what happens. This is the way God wants you who belong to Christ Jesus to live. This is just beautiful language right? And so let's just take these really quick, one at a time. Rejoice always. The first one, rejoice always. Rejoice is, um, you know, Greek word here is to celebrate, is what it says. Uh, I'm going to totally jack up communion here. Uh, To celebrate is is the word. Uh, It's a verb form of the noun. Uh, Celebration, it actually means to joy. That it's, it's actually an action, to joy. Um, it's, a, it's a command. Um, it's not a feeling. Um, it's not something that you experience when you're overwhelmed with joy. I mean, if you are uh, 
uh, an Indians fan right now, or you are, um, you know, you, you know what this is like, where there's some external ex, uh, experience that, that happens and you are overwhelmed with joy. This is not what Paul's talking about. He's not talking about seeking a joy feeling. He's not saying, go find some people who are happy and hang out with them. He's saying, to joy, to rejoice, to celebrate. It's something you do as an act of obedience, Paul is saying. That, that there's, there's times when, yes, joy rushes over us, but, but it's actually this, this way of living that no matter what's happening in your life, you choose to act out in joy. Does that make sense? A couple weeks ago, um, we've been looking for a... Uh, a used car, you know, as the family driving pool increases, and uh, found a car, uh, raced out, looked at it, bought it on a Saturday, um, excited about this, this car, and, and uh, thought we got a good deal. Some of you know what's coming. Um, I went, I had to leave on Monday, so Saturday we bought it, I left on Monday for a church planting assessment, and in our denomination, I'm really involved in church planting, in our denomination, they asked me to come out uh, with a bunch of other people, and there was some church planters that are thinking about planting churches all over the country, Alaska, downtown New York City, all these different places, and our job was, uh, through, the, through a whole series of things, was to help discern if they were called to this at this time, um, at, at this place, and it was just a powerful week just full of joy, full of excitement, um, excited to get back. I came back Thursday night, Friday. I decided, well, we got to get this car registered. So I take it to the DMV and I find out that we were the victims of odometer fraud, which was so exciting. Uh, and to, to think about paying for something that you shouldn't have paid for or you shouldn't have paid that much for. And I was just so, oh, I was so angry that day. And at the meantime, you know, I'm studying ahead for the sermon. I'm studying ahead, you know, I'm doing my work, I'm, I'm, I'm in this. And, you know, uh, as Dan and I and many of the other people that teach, you know, it's not something you get up here and go, hey, guys, um, I got this all figured out. I figured out how to have joy in all circumstances. I figured it out. And so follow me, you know. Um, this was the day where, uh, you know, I was so angry and frustrated I wanted to I was calling district attorney's offices. I was filing police report. I was doing all this stuff, right? I was just, mm, and everything was affected. Everything had this dark cloud over it and so frustrated and so disappointed, not only in myself and in humanity. <laughs> so bad. And then just, just, just thinking about it, just retracing everything in my mind, the conversation, how this all went down, I'm like, And I'm reading this verse, I'm like, what is Paul talking about here? How can you rejoice always? How can you deal with, how can you have joy when sometimes the circumstances in your life don't really call for it, right? I mean, I just bought a crappy car. But some of you, I know, are going through really difficult stuff. Dealing with depression and dealing with divorce and dealing with the, the pain that goes into life. Uh, some of you are frustrated about job situations or relationships or things like that. And, and Paul's saying, hey, I want you to, to, to joy. 
I want you to rejoice in everything, like celebrate, be a people of the future, actually celebrate. And so, so I was thinking about this, like how hard is this to do? This isn't a passive command that we just go, oh, we just need to put ourselves in situations where there are joyful things happening. No, Paul's saying you need to go be joy in the middle of it all. And so I was thinking about what kind of a God commands joy. Turns out, um, all throughout Scripture, God is called, God actually talks about, uh, Scripture talks about God being joy. And, and in, in nuanced ways and, and all throughout, I mean, there's a, there's a philosopher and writer and spiritual formation guy named Dallas Willard, and he talks about the fact that, that God is the most joyous person in the universe. And he goes into a philosophical argument about that that I won't, won't get into. And, and sometimes we read uh, the New Testament, we read the Gospels, and we see Jesus, and we're, we kind of think Jesus is like this very stoic person, this very Spock-like uh, individual, right, that, that really doesn't express any joy. He's just like just business, you know, heal people, you know, call the disciples, you know, crucified, you know, just, you know, this like very just stoic person, but... But when you think about it, uh, he was accused, Jesus was actually accused of being a drunkard and a glutton. Like, he was, a, he was a celebrator, Jesus was. He was like, hey, let's go. Like, how can you convince people to come follow you if you're boring? Or if you don't have a lot of adventure in your life? If there's not a lot of celebration with your life? And so Jesus, I mean, he's at a wedding, they run out of wine, he's like, I got this, you know? He's just like that guy. You want him around. He's hanging out with tax collectors and sinners and all these people that people wouldn't hang out with. And so Jesus was this kind of joyous, celebratory man. And, and, and here we got this idea of God being joy. And what, what I think is going on here is a lot of times I think we think as Christians like, oh, we just need to be, you know, praying all the time. We're going to get into praying next here. But just like somber and, and kind of mad at the world and, and these people that are real killjoys. And that's not what Paul is saying. Paul is saying people of the future are actually joyful, celebratory people in the midst of everything going on, in the midst of really junky political elections, in the midst of, of frustrating economic news and, and like I said, bad car purchases, and, and all these things. We're called to be joyful people. We're actually supposed to live at, at, at a depth with a, with a deep and wide, unquenchable joy. Those are the kind of people that are called by God. We're called to be that. The writer John talks about uh, that joy comes from the spirit of Jesus. Paul writes another letter to a group of people at a church in Galatia, and he talks about fruit of the Spirit. And uh, what's interesting, you know, love, joy, peace, you you know those. So I I met someone once, and they're like, man, I feel like i got to really work on my kindness. You know, i got to work on that fruit. Um, But Paul's not, like, separating the fruit. Like, okay, now once you figure out joy, then you do the love and then the kindness. He's not saying that. He's actually saying that's actually taking it out of context. Before this, before he mentions the fruit of the Spirit, he actually says, walk in the Spirit. He says, this is like, this is what happens when you, the, the actual inevitable outcome of walking with the Spirit is fruit of the Spirit. You become joyful. 
that you become kind, that you become loving, you actually, you actually exude this just naturally out of who you are. And then after this, he says, keep in step with the Spirit. Like, keep, keep, keep connected with the Spirit. That these are the natural outcroppings of what, it hap- what happens when we follow, follow Jesus. And, and I think that a lot of times we wander around our lives and we, th- we think that, man, we can pray and we just, God, just zap me with joy. <laughs> just give me some joy right now. And, and we, we seek that feeling, but true, lasting joy. Like real, deep, true, unquenchable joy is a way of life. It's actually a way of living. It's, it's the habit of, of being in step with the Spirit. And I'm, not, I'm not saying that if you battle depression that you're out of step with the Spirit. I'm not, I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying there, there's anxiety and there's, and, and there's just real emotional stuff that, that we can find joy in. You can find joy through is a better way to say it. Richard Foster talks about this in his book, Celebration of Discipline. He he talks about this idea of joy being a decision in the mind, deciding it. Paul commands it. And you got to understand, Paul's talking to a group of people who, like I earlier said, they are in the midst of it, right? They are. This isn't like a happy, clappy toy that Paul's talking about. It's like it's finding a way to have meaningful, real, unquenchable joy in the midst of all the stuff of life. We, we see Jesus weeping in Scripture. We see Jesus in real grief and mourning in the garden. And uh, so I'm not saying that that's pretending. I'm not, I'm not saying to be a pretender of joy. Paul's saying, celebrate. People of the future find ways to joy. Second thing he says is pray continually. And this is a broad category, and I know that um, many of you are, many of you in this room are, I would say, better at praying and more uh, versed and practiced in praying than, than I will ever be. Um, there's a huge category here. You got praise, you got uh, interceding, which is when you're praying for somebody else. Um, and and uh, there's things like questioning and petition and thanksgiving. We, we talk about lament quite a bit around here. We talk about how real and honest um, it is to, to lament and to pray those prayers of lament to God. Uh, we talk about listening and communion and all this, all this prayer that, that Paul's talking about. What is Paul saying? Pray continually. What is he saying? Is he quit your job and move to a monastery or something like that? No. In many ways, it's like hyperbole. Paul's just saying, pray a lot. Like, be intentional. Like, this idea of this 24-7 intimacy with God, this this finding a way that out of this closeness with God, out of this, this, this conversation with God, we do life. Out of this closeness with God, we, we walk our dog and rake leaves and go to the store and go to our jobs and do life. But this, this idea of this intimacy, this closeness with God, it's about a habit. 
I grew up with uh, going to church, and, and, and they would always say, hey, well, did you have your quiet time? You know, like, how's your quiet time going? You know, like, if you don't have, have carve out that 10 minutes, you know, you're, you're really not, you know. <laughs> but Paul, Jesus is talking about this closeness. Be in uh, me, and I will be in you. This, this, this union, okay, this mysterious beauty that happens. Dallas Willard, uh, we've got a quote from one of his books. It says, this is the fundamental secret of caring for our souls. Our part in practicing the presence of God is to direct and redirect our minds constantly to him. In the early time of our practicing, we may, we, we may well be challenged by our burdensome habits of dwelling on things less than God, right? You ever find yourself doing that? <laughs> A little bit? <laughs> less than God, finding, like, dwelling on things less than God, but these are habits that can be broken, he said. A new grace-filled habit will replace the former ones as we take intentional steps towards keeping God before us. Listen to this. This is huge. Soon our minds will return to God as the needle of a compass constantly returns to the north. If God is the great longing of our souls, he will become the pole star in our inward being, this idea that, that, that the more we practice this, the more we engage with God continually in praying and, and finding that way that Paul wants us to find, that w- the more we'll, we'll know God, the more we'll experience God in our life. So if you thought that this was about showing up at church once or twice a month, um, throwing a little in the offering, and, and then and listening to Caleb as you went down the street, this is not, that's not what this is about. What this is about is this idea of following Jesus, to be a follower of Jesus, one of his Talmudim, you know, one of his, one of his, one of his followers, one of his disciples, that this is what it looks like. Closeness and intimacy with God. And keeping God in the forefront of our thought life. And that is very difficult for me, and I know it's probably very difficult for you. The last thing he says is give thanks in all circumstances. Uh, this, this word give thanks is a Greek word, euchariste. Uh, it's where we get the word eucharist. It's where we get the word for the Lord's Supper. It actually means good gift. Okay? And so it's not a meal that we do kind of once a week. This is kind of this idea Paul is saying this is a way of life. It's an invitation to give thanks in all we have. And this idea of thanking God for his mercy, his grace, our families, our provision through work, our, our communities, our situations, our, our, you know, our salvation, our forgiveness, things like this. And, and this is where language is really key here. Okay? And, and I want to just dive into something that I think is pretty important for us to talk about. Notice that Paul says, give thanks not for all circumstances, but in all circumstances. And it's very important that we get that right. Not for all circumstances, but in all circumstances. Because there's a wing of Christianity that thinks that everything that happens is the will of God. To be honest here as I say this, and this might unsettle some of you (laughs) as I say this, but it's very pop culture language that God is in control. This idea that God is sovereign, so when something bad happens um, in the news, in your life, um, and then someone says, well, hey, God is sovereign, (laughs) Um, 
those are my first people I want to punch. Like, number one, like, sorry. I just, it's a frustrating thing. It's a frustrating thing when I think, um, when I read tweets from major Christian leaders that talk about, after major catastrophes, that God must have a reason for it. God is sovereign, so. And, it, and what this doctrine is, is a very hyper-Calvinistic doctrine called the doctrine of meticulous providence, okay? Very deterministic, meaning that God somehow, since God is sovereign, that God somehow directed the shooting at the gay nightclub in Orlando, and that God somehow directed the tornado to hit this trailer park in Oklahoma. And God is somehow directing all of this pain and evil that's happening with ISIS. I do not believe that. <laughs> I get angry about it. Because, and this is why, and I know this is very, sometimes it's hard for us. We want doctrine. We want to know, okay, is God in control? Yes, we want to know those things. And, and, and we wrestle with these things. I mean, how, how, control is, how in control is God? And how much does our will participate? How much does human will and natural will and spiritual will, all that stuff participate in this? You know, one of Jesus' central prayers, you all know it, the Lord's Prayer. And the disciples are begging God to ask him, how do we pray? And this whole idea of praying continually, and obviously we're on to another topic here, but how do we pray? And Jesus says, pray like this. And you know it, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, you know, the, the, the King James Version of it, you know. And, then, and it gets to that part where your kingdom come, your will be done, which is actually a double meaning. It's the same thing. It's like your will being done is your kingdom coming. So it's, it's like this double meaning there. And, and, and so what Jesus is saying is he's like your will hasn't come yet. Your kingdom hasn't fully come yet. And he says, on earth as it is in heaven. And so ultimately what Jesus is saying by giving this prayer to his disciples is that there's a will in heaven that is happening that is only God's. This, this beautiful reality that we one day will have, this people of the future hope that we have that God's will will be the only will. On earth as it is in heaven. So ultimately what, what Jesus is saying is that in this moment that you find yourself what you're saying is, 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 what you're seeing is that there are multiple wills at work. There's Ryan Ashley's will. Who wants to punch people? And you've just heard that. Um, uh, there's, 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 there's wills happening all over. There's natural will. There's cancerous will. There's, there's all this stuff that is happening on earth. And our prayer is that one day, the will that the only will that is happening will be the will that is in heaven, right? And so, with that, we we we. I remember being at a funeral once, and um, somebody had mentioned, "Well, it must have been God's will that that Hank died." If you're new, I just use the word. I just use the name Hank all the time. Like I don't know a Hank. Is there a Hank here? No, no one names their kid Hank anymore, right? That would be so sweet. Anyhow, so, uh, so I was at a funeral, and, and, you know, this guy passed away, and someone said, well, it was God's will. No, death is never God's will. That is the ultimate enemy. And we know that one day God's will will be the only will. And so when we talk through all of this, my point for this is this. 
that your marriage falling apart is not God's will. That you being out of work is not God's will. That yes, there are ways for us to thank God in all circumstances, not for all circumstances, that God does do things and work things and make things uh, to his glory, but there aren't his, they aren't his will. And so central value here for us is this idea of our, it's okay for us to lament. It's okay for us to be sad. It's okay for us to be bummed out. But at the same time, there's this beautiful gratitude that comes under the surface for the person God is making in us. This idea of that our will is involved, but that God is, is doing things in us. And so really what, what Paul is saying is there's this 24-7 posture here. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. And some of you this morning, you're, you, you, be honest, you're, you're in a great place, and you might even feel bad for that. You're like, man, things are just going good, and some relationships in my life are being restored, and I just feel like this is a great season. And, and it's, so it's easy, it's easy to give thanks. It's easy to, to find joy. It's easy to pray continually. But some of you, um, this is just a dark season. It's hard. I have a friend of mine who's a local pastor that uh, they're expecting their, their fifth child, and um, they had a miscarriage. And I just saw him the other day at, the, the, at my office, and uh, at the coffee shop, and, uh, and, and just, oh, and just the, the pain of that. And some of you in this room, you know that pain. You know that loss. And uh, I was meeting with another friend of mine, dear friend of mine, who this year has been, A, number one, the worst year of his life. And job stuff and health stuff. And, and he, he sat down with me. He goes, I, I need you to put your counseling hat on. And he said, I, I literal, literally feel at the lowest point of my life ever, you know. And, and then we've got just our world today. And the frustration that we feel with politics in our nation and, and the division in our country over racial issues and economic issues and foreign policy issues and immigration issues and all these things. And we, there's so much anger and so much, you know, hopelessness and, 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 and just frustrating, right? I mean, I saw someone the other day that was just like, I am so looking forward to when those those, you know, those, those uh, pharmaceutical ads come back and the political ads are gone, right? You know, like the, the side effects, you know, like I could go for some side effects right now. But remember the Thessalonians. Remember, remember why this letter was written. We have to remember the context because that's the only way you're going to you're going to be able to really unite yourself with what Paul is saying here. Are the Thessalonians doing great right now when they receive this letter? Is everything a box of fluffy ducks? No. I mean, we know they, some of them have lost their jobs. Some of them are in jail for not worshiping Caesar. Some of them have been rejected by their families and their spouses. Some of them have just seen an immense amount of pain. And even more important in the face of great difficulty are these words for us because Paul finishes this last 
uh, verse in 18, he says, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And I get this all the time. Hey, how do I know God's will for my life? I, college students and, and people in their, you know, you know, if you haven't reached your mid-20s crisis yet, that's coming. Uh, your midlife crisis, that's coming too. You know, all that kind of stuff. Say, how do I know God's will for my life? And we, we look in the pages of Scripture and we just pray and we want to know. And it's funny because Paul says it right here. This is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Rejoice always. Pray continually and give thanks in all circumstances. And, you know, some of you are sitting here going, I don't know what to do next. Uh, some of the students are like, do I, do, I, do I go to school or do I travel? Do I open a food truck to become an architect? I don't, what, do, what do I do? What's, what is God's will for my life? I want to know what God's will is. God just told me what his will is. I would totally obey him. But here's the thing. You already know 95% of God's will for you. I mean, think about it. In chapter 4, the, other, the only other command was avoid sexual immorality, and we talked about that. But people of the future avoid sexual immorality. And here's the other three commands. Pray continually and rejoice always and give thanks. And so let me just tell you something. If you're avoiding sexual immorality and you're praying continually and you're rejoicing in everything and you're giving thanks in all circumstances, that's going to keep you pretty busy. I know it will mean. And so the rest of this whole thing, like if, if this is becoming part of our life, if you are becoming a person of more joy and more prayer, connecting with God and, and more thanksgiving, and, 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 and you are doing that stuff, you already know the majority of God's will for you. And if you do, it's actually going to be really easy when you hit the fork in the road, right? Because you're, you're in tune with who God is. You're, the, God is your pole star, right? And so at the, at the, really at the end of this whole thing, let me just say this. I think these three commands are really a subversive teaching. <laughs> and you might think, well, this really sounds self-helpy and really nice and be happy. And I didn't say be happy, but you might be thinking be happy. I'm not saying happy. Be joy-filled, pray continually, right, and give thanks. It, it sounds like a really good Sunday three-point sermon, doesn't it? Like, just wrap it up. Okay, everybody, donuts and coffee. See you later. And, and, and that would feel good. That would scratch the church-going itch, wouldn't it? But this is a really a subversive teaching. Because in our culture, okay, uh, to rejoice always, I think our culture deals with a blanket of, of sadness um, under the surface that a lot of people don't recognize. And so what does it mean to be someone that fights through the, the culture of sadness and frustration and anger that it's all around us. Prayer. We are an over-busy, stressed out, emotionally unhealthy, technologically addicted society. <laughs> we are. I am. So the idea of an unbusy, right, peace-filled, reflective focused way of life where God is at the center of everything, uh, our thinking, our living, um, that's totally foreign to our culture. It's not celebrated. And it's really hard to do, especially if you have one of those, those, those smartphone things, you know? It's funny, you, like, we crack up about it, and you know, I mean, you're sitting at a restaurant with some of the favorite people in the world, and everybody's on their phone. 
I was at the DMV. You remember that story? Yeah, so I was at the DMV, and everybody's just like, mm. you know, and, and the DMV is not fun, right? You don't rejoice there. Um, but, like, we are all into our stuff. Noisy, traffic, plugged in, chaos, stressed out. It's hard to live a quiet life, right? And then gratitude. Hmm. <laughs> I mean, don't tell an entitled group of Americans how to be grateful. I mean, we're, we're really good at, at, at knowing what we deserve and why we deserve it. And sometimes that sneaks into our view of God. We have this if-then formula of God, you know? Like, if I go to church and if I do this and if I volunteer, then God will definitely help me feel happy and fulfilled. Or if I do this, then this, then God's definitely going to show up with my life. See, God is not a formula or an equation when it comes to gratitude. Let me just say, salvation, he's generous with salvation and mercy and provision, uniqueness and creativity and community in your life, identity, forgiveness, gifting, and mission. All those things are God just generously gives to us. And then we're just like, God, you really need, need to show up in my life some more. <laughs> you really, I really deserve this because I'm volunteering so much. And I, and I went to church so much this month. See, what Paul is saying is, if you're a people of the future, our only right response is celebration, prayer, and gratitude. And that's what people of the future are called to be. In this letter, this Thessalonian letter, as we finish up here, the whole point of it is to be people of the future. Not people pushed around by circumstances in the present. Not people holding on to a feeling in the past. But being le- leading these lives that look towards the future. Right in the middle of the chaos, right in the middle of the entropy of our lives, right in the middle of, of the disappointments and the discouragements in our lives, to be people of the future. And you can't do this alone. It's not something that you can really generate on your own. This is like a community thing. This is why it's so important to be a part of this. So in, it, in the mess of it all, we're called to live in line with the world that is coming, that will be not in line with the world that is, right? And hopefully that gives you hope. We're called to be an advanced sign of the future, right? Your life, how you work, how you live, how you do finances, how you love your neighbor, how you mend relationships, how you drive in traffic, how you, you're an advanced sign of the future, right? So Jesus announces this kingdom of God that's at hand, that it's close by, that it's breaking in, and we are really a part of that. We actually are a sign of that. It's this crazy idea of being a race to the bottom. It's, it's a race to be at the bottom of everything, to, to push people forward. And so the question for you is this, and this is the question I asked day one of this series, Okay. What would it look like to live as people of the future? What would it look like in your life? What would change? What would become less important? What would become more important? What would take up more of your time? What would take up less of your time? Okay? What would it look like? 
And then the, the, the other question is this, where are you living in line with the present rather than the future? Really, what, where are you focused? Where does your, your joy need to come more? Where do you need to rejoice and celebrate? Maybe you just need to get some people together and celebrate what God is doing in your life, how difficult it is. We have some folks going through faith walking right now, and you're going to hear more about this in the days and, and weeks to come, but they're, they're, they're actually plunging themselves into some very difficult conversations about their first formation, about growing up as kids that have actually changed their life, that actually have, has made them live a certain way. And it's very difficult work, but let me just tell you what's happening. There's, there's joy in the transformation. There's freedom that's coming from it, okay? And this is kind of the language that Paul is using here, that the joy continually, to, to live out of joy, to pray continually, to be connected to God in a certain way, in a, in a deep way, and to give thanks in all, not for all circumstances. So as we actually wrap this series up, we're going to take communion, the Eucharist, together. And what's beautiful about this meal, that is Jesus is setting in his mind the future. Jesus is gathered around the table of his disciples, and he's looking to the future. And what does the future look like for Jesus? Well, it looks like the cross. That's what it looks like. And you can imagine him trying to explain to his disciples what's going to happen, that the Son of Man will die and, and be raised again. And they're just like, nah, that's crazy. And, and he's sitting around this table, and he's breaking a, a, the bread, which is typical of the Passover. This is a Passover meal. This is standard operating procedure for the Passover. And he picks up the bread, and he breaks it, and he says, you, you kind of thought this was one thing, but this is actually my body broken for you. That's what this is. It's my body broken for you. And, and the disciples are like, okay. <laughs> and, and meanwhile, Jesus is thinking about his body being broken for them. And we read in Scripture, it says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Side of it was the future reality that Jesus wanted for his people. And then he took the cup, and he passed it, and he, and he said, this is my blood spilled for you. So every time you take the bread and you drink the cup, you remember, yeah, a little bit more over here, <laughs> and I'm spilling like crazy, that this is a meal of thanks. It's a good gift. And it's something you do, we do as a community. Whenever we gather together, this is what we're called to be a part of. And so this morning, where do you need to, jo where do you need to rejoice always? How do you need to rejoice always? May you find joy here. Maybe you need to pray, continue. Maybe there's something to reconnect with the pole star of your life here. And maybe there's just great thanksgiving to give here, no matter what circumstance you face. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, this morning, we are thankful for 
this letter, this 2,000-year-old letter. And I'm blown away at the impact it has made in my life over these last 12 weeks, and I know many others as well. But God, we come to your table, the, the meal you created, the meal that you uh, set in motion for followers, for your followers for thousands of years to follow. A meal that reminds us of the work that you did for us on the cross, that you paved the way for our future. And by coming to the table, we announce to the world that we are people of a future. A future that involves a will being done on earth as it is in heaven. And even though at this moment there are multiple wills at work in this world, including our own, God, that we surrender ours to you and we participate in yours. And so this morning, God, we, we may come to this table as people who need to confess something, need to rid ourselves of something, something in our lives that is holding us back from rejoicing always, praying continually, and giving thanks in all circumstances. And so, God, we let you be the Lord of this moment.